0: Hello everybody. I want to welcome you and thank you for listening in today. This is Toby with BibleStudyPodcast.org. Today is Wednesday, April the 11th, and of course on Wednesdays we do our Apologetics and Cultural Issues Podcasts. And this week, you know, I've been going over some stuff and trying to figure out, you know, what would be the best thing to discuss today. And one of the things I take into consideration for these shows is stuff that all of you might have some interest in. And, you know, I get a lot of emails from you guys, which I really appreciate. And oftentimes when I get emails from listeners, there is some type of question, you know, pertaining to apologetics or Christianity or, you know, stuff like that. And so what I wanted to do today is to do kind of a, a Q&A session where I'm going to take some of these questions that you guys have asked me and I'm going to answer them for you. Of course, some of you on MySpace, you've seen my posts you know, where I, I ask for questions. And I am more than happy to, to take your questions. You can email them to me anytime at cleanslate.ministries. At hotmail.com, or you can follow the link to my MySpace page on biblestudypodcast.org, and if you're a member of MySpace, if you're signed up on MySpace, you can just go ahead and, and send me your questions on there as well. So I've got you know a lot of questions from you guys. Some of them I've answered. Some of them I've told you you know that I'd like to to answer that in a podcast. So I'm going to take some questions today that have been sent to me from some of you. So I think this is going to be a lot of fun. This is something that I've been looking forward to for a while and I hope you enjoy it and are blessed by it as well. But before we get started, I do need to make one quick announcement for our podcast on Monday. Of course, we're going to be going a little further into the book of Romans and the part that we're getting to is dealing with lustful thoughts And so what I was thinking is you might want to make sure there are no young ears listening. Or even better, if you have a teenage child, you know what kind of pressure they are under from their peers and from society in general to conform to this sexual image that the media and that the non-Christian world in general promotes. And so this is something that should definitely be addressed by the parent with the, with the teenage child, in my opinion. And so this podcast on Monday might be something that you want to listen to with them. And that's definitely something that I want to be able to provide to you. Because what Paul's going to be talking about is why there's something wrong with going outside of God's plan for sexuality. So we're going to be talking about that on Monday. Again, you might want to listen to it with your teenagers if that's something that you haven't discussed with them yet. But without any further ado, you know, let's go ahead and get into the questions for today. And our first question comes from somebody on my MySpace network, and this is a different question than I typically get, because this isn't really apologetics, this is more Christian living, but I'm going to try and answer it my best anyway. And she writes, recently, I had a guest over at my home, and I had, I guess what you would call an accusation thrown at me. The person said, you're supposed to be a Christian. Why did you say what you said? My reply was this. Take the log out of your eye before you take the twig out of mine. And I also said, judge not lest ye be judged yourself. Should I not have replied like that? This person is not a Christian. Should I have held my peace? How have you handled this? And this is really kind of a tough question to answer without knowing exactly what the issue is. But I will say this. uh, Whenever somebody who is not a Christian comes at us and says, hey, aren't you supposed to be doing this because you're a Christian? Or aren't you supposed to be doing that because you're a Christian? My answer is usually something along the lines of, yes, that is what I'm supposed to be doing. I have found that the best answer we can give to someone who's not a Christian is an honest and humble answer. I understand that this is a knee-jerk reaction. You know, it's it's kind of, you know, somebody slaps you and you slap them back. You know, and that's just kind of our human nature. That's our sinful nature. We don't want to be told by a non-Christian how we're supposed to be acting. But the fact is, our witness is reflected in our actions. And if our actions are less than Christ-like, we need to have the type of humility that allows us to say, yes, I should have been acting in another way. Because if we take this passage into context that you're talking about, take the log out of your own eye before you take the twig out of mine, it's not saying don't judge. What it's saying is don't be a hypocrite. Don't tell me that I have a little piece of wood in my eye when you have a big piece of wood in yours. And that's that's hypocrisy, and that was the problem with the Pharisees. But that passage doesn't really apply to this situation because a non-Christian can't really be a hypocrite the way we can be. And that's something that we always have to be on guard against. Second of all, we aren't instructed not to judge. To the contrary, you know, we're told to test the spirits. We're told to test things. What we are not supposed to do is judge the salvation of other people. You know, that type of judgment is something that is reserved just for God. But I do believe that it is biblical to examine what somebody else is telling us. For example, when Paul brought the gospel to the Bereans, what did they do? Well, they went and they checked what he said against what the Bible said. And that's something that we've always got to be doing. But in, in a situation like this, you know, I understand that it's difficult to keep your peace. But I would say, you know, your best response would probably have been to say, yes, you're right. I shouldn't have said that. But you know what? It's not too late to have that type of response because what you can do, you can go to this person now and say, you know, I've really been thinking about what you said the other day about how, you know, I'm supposed to be a Christian. So why did I say that? And you know what? I want to apologize because you're right. As a Christian, I shouldn't have said that. And I want you to know that I'm sorry. And I want you to know that I have turned from that and that I realize I shouldn't have said that. And I think that's the type of humility that will win people over for Christ. That's the type of uh, attitude that people will appreciate because it's honest. So, you know, I don't know if that's a perfect answer. I'm sure it's not, as a matter of fact. But that's just personally how I would probably handle a situation like that. Because something that we have to keep in mind here also is that we do have a higher standard of morality than the world. We do have a higher standard to live up to because we are trying to be like Christ. But you know what? Don't beat yourself up over it. Just move on. Go ahead. Go make amends and just be humble about it. And I think it'll actually work to the glory of God. But I hope that answers your uh, your question. And thank you for sending that in. So uh, moving on to our second question here, I've got an email from Sean on MySpace who asks, if God created man on the sixth day, how do we explain the thousands of years before man when dinosaurs ruled the earth and i've got a few things that i'd like to comment on there first of all there's no reason to think that there were necessarily thousands of years before man when dinosaurs were on the earth as a matter of fact the whole notion that dinosaurs were on the earth thousands or maybe millions of years before man was on the earth presupposes evolution because that's what science tells you they tell you you know that these dinosaurs were on the earth and that usually the explanation for their disappearance is that they uh is that a meteor hit the earth and caused like kind of a nuclear type of effect, a nuclear winter type of effect, which killed off all the dinosaurs, which resulted in their extinction. So I don't think you can come to the necessary conclusion that it was thousands of years or millions of years before man without presupposing evolution. And we showed in our series, uh, our Romans chapter one, verses 18 to 20 series, that evolution is pretty unlikely. So I don't presuppose evolution. I don't think there were necessarily thousands of years before man when dinosaurs ruled the earth. You know, and of course it's kind of to the church's shame. It's kind of a black eye for the church that there were some prominent church leaders, you know, fifty, sixty years ago who were denying that there were any dinosaurs. They were saying that this was was a deception Of Satan. And sadly, you know, Christianity was really mocked because of the few who denied what was obviously there. But you know, let me make a couple more comments on this. First of all, the evidence doesn't support the conclusion. The evidence that a meteor hit the earth, created this nuclear winter, and thus killed out the dinosaurs doesn't fit with the evidence. Because here's what geology does. When geology digs into the earth, what they do is they find the bones of animals. And theoretically, what should happen is as you get deeper into the earth, you find simpler and simpler and simpler life forms until you get down to just very, very small life forms, very simple cells. But that's not what's in the evidence. What we see is what geologists term the pre-Cambrian explosion. And that is when you hit a certain level of the earth's crust, all of a sudden there's a huge variety of animals and sea life and dinosaurs. And this is, this all just kind of comes up all at one time. And that suggests an instantaneous creation because there's nothing leading up to it. Second of all, How were the dinosaur bones preserved so well? Well, they were preserved because they were in the earth. Well, how did they get into the earth? Because if you go out into... The desert now, you know, I'm I'm from Las Vegas. There's a desert right there. I can tell you that if you go out into the desert, you'll find maybe some, you know, some skeletons of dogs out there sometimes. Uh, that's that's the kind of stuff that I found sometimes when I was a kid and went out into the desert. But that's not what we find with the dinosaurs. We find bones that are very well preserved because they didn't just sit there and decompose. What I believe happened is the the Genesis Flood buried them and that would actually fit the evidence because we have found dinosaur bones with red blood cells still intact and those should not be there after thousands of years let alone millions of years so that suggests that the dinosaurs actually died out fairly recently so what i would suggest is that the dinosaurs went extinct as a result of the flood because once the waters died down, and you know, assuming Noah took some dinosaurs with him, once those uh, floodwaters went down, there was, first of all, a lot more competition for food. So a lot of them started dying off. Second of all, the conditions for living just weren't the same. We know that the world went into an ice age. And that probably killed a lot of them as well if they couldn't adjust. Because, let's face it, we know that thousands of species of animals have gone extinct. Rather than evolving, all these animals go extinct. There are hundreds of cases every single year where a species completely disappears. And that's just part of the process. So I would say that dinosaurs actually lived with man and there's actually, believe it or not, there's biblical evidence to suggest that dinosaurs coexisted with humans. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you will, to Job chapter 40. And let's go ahead and just start with verse 15. Job 40:15 says, Behold now, behemoth, which I made as well as you. He eats grass like an ox. Okay, that sounds like a cow or an ox, but it's not because let's read a little further. Behold now, his strength in his loins, and his power in the muscles of his belly. That's not something that we would describe a cow as or an ox as. Let's continue with verse 17. He bends his tail like a cedar. Now, that doesn't sound like a cow. It doesn't sound like an ox. Some theologians have proposed that this would be a hippopotamus. Some have said it's an elephant, and if you read some commentaries, that's the kind of stuff that you'll get, but I don't see... Any type of animal that, that's that been proposed in any of these commentaries having a tail like a cedar wood. Instead, this behemoth, whatever that is, had a tail like a cedar wood, a cedar wood tree. And that is huge. So I would say that what's being described here is a dinosaur. And oddly enough... This animal here, the behemoth, has a better description than almost any other animal in the whole Bible. So I would actually say that dinosaurs coexisted with man and that they went extinct as a result of the flood. There's no reason to assume that the dinosaurs and man didn't coexist. There's no reason to think that dinosaurs existed thousands or millions of years before man because that presupposes evolution, and evolution, I can assure you, is not what happened. It's not how we got to the state of being human that we are in today. But thank you so much for your question, Sean. That's a great question, and that's one that a lot of Christians ask. It's one that I asked, and it was actually a hindrance for me when I was young in my faith, because I know that there's evidence for dinosaurs, and I read about these guys who were prominent theologians who were denying altogether the prior existence of dinosaurs. So and the other thing to consider is that there are dinosaur species still among us. I mean that's what lizards are. That's what uh they say that some sharks have been around for, you know, thousands or millions of years or whatever. But I would say that the evidence suggests that the dinosaurs were killed either by the flood or by the lack of food when they got off of the ark. Or that they just didn't survive the ice age that followed the flood. But God bless you, Sean. Thank you so much for the question. Our final question today comes from uh, a brother who emailed me at cleanslate.ministries at hotmail.com and he writes, hello, my name is Dwayne and I am from Bermuda. I came across your podcast and I've honestly been blessed by it. Thank you, Duane. I'm glad you are blessed by it. That blesses me to know that you're blessed by it. And he writes, Questions I never thought I would get an answer to have been answered. I'm 21, and I'm new to my faith, and I was hoping you would be able to help me with a question. In my research, I have come across the Council of Nicaea, and I don't fully understand the whole purpose or why they were debating the divinity of Jesus. How is it man can decide how divine Jesus is, and also how can man... Decide what books belong in the Bible. Okay, so I'm going to answer the first part of that. The second part of that, the second question uh, about deciding which books belong in the Bible, that's something that one of these days I will do a whole podcast on because that's that's a really good question and that's a really interesting topic and I'm sure that's something that a lot of you have probably wondered. You know, how did we get the Bible that we have today? Why are the books that are in it in it? But let me just go ahead and answer the first part of that, the first half of that question that you asked, and that is, what was the purpose of the Council of Nicaea? And the Council of Nicaea was called by Constantine in the fourth century as a result of a movement called Arianism, which was denying the divinity of Jesus. And because so many leaders in the church believed that Jesus was divine... What they needed to do was come together, put their heads together, and come up with as many verses and as much biblical support as they could for supporting the divinity of Christ. See, Arianism was denying that Jesus was completely divine. It was denying that Jesus and the Father were both God. So, really, what was at stake here was Jesus' deity. So, what happened is Constantine called all these guys together, and they came up with a definitive set of doctrines that the church, by and large, would adhere to. And this was in response to this heresy regarding Jesus. That's, that was the main purpose of the Council of Nicaea. And of course, they were able to gather enough evidence to conclusively determine that the Bible does teach that Jesus and God are Are different persons, but of one nature and one substance. And I realize that there is a lot of controversy surrounding the Council of Nicaea because of recent things such as, you know, the Da Vinci Code or whatever, but I want to put your mind at ease a little bit here. They weren't trying to decide how divine Jesus is, they were trying to determine whether or not he was divine. And just for the record, the council voted almost unanimously, I think there were two votes against the deity of Jesus compared to 300 plus votes in favor of supporting the doctrine of the deity of Christ. So the council of Nicaea really served to just seal in the doctrine in order that the church would have a concrete set of beliefs to which they could Adhere, and very quickly, let me just go over what the Nicene Creed says. This is this is the official statement of the First Council of Nicaea. This was written in year three twenty five, and what they came up with is this creed, which says, "We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, Maker of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, begotten of the Father, the only begotten. That is." of the essence of the Father, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, both in heaven and on earth, who for us men and for our salvation came down and was incarnate and was made man. He suffered, and on the third day he rose again, ascended into heaven. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead." and in the Holy Ghost. But those who say there was a time when he was not, and he was not before he was made, and he was made out of nothing, or he is of another substance or essence, or the Son of God is created or changeable or alterable, they are condemned by the Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church. So there you have it. That's what they were trying to decide. And, you know, based on What I told you, you can definitely hear those things in there. You know, they're trying to decide whether God and the Father are one. I think they did that. I think the Bible supports the fact that Jesus is God, that he and the Father are one. They are two of the three persons in the Trinity, but they are of one nature and of one substance and of one essence. So praise the Lord that they were able to decipher from the biblical text a solid doctrine to which we can adhere And that's all the time that we have for today's podcast. I hope you've been blessed with it. You know, it's a blessing for me to be able to answer questions for all of you. Whenever these questions arise in your life, don't hold back on me. Feel free to email me at either cleanslate.ministries at hotmail.com or you can go to my MySpace page and you can email me on there. I'll be more than happy to answer your questions as they come. And of course, you know, sometime in the future, I'd like to have another one of these apologetics uh, Q&A sessions with all of you. So thank you for listening today. May God bless you. And I just hope that you keep growing in him and in your walk with him. Thank you so much for listening today. I'll see you guys Monday. Don't forget to listen on Friday when Justin starts his study on the book of the Gospel of John.